0: I've been living in my van for about six months. I'd originally planned to do so for a year, or however long it took me to complete a giant loop around the country and back to Seattle, where I'm originally from. I'm only in Boston right now, but after what I experienced back in Maine this past Thursday night, I don't think I have the nerve to keep at it much longer. I moved my life into a van for the same reasons many people do. The ability to travel and see things disconnect from the 9 to 5 grind and save some money along the way. It took some adjusting at first, but I knew from the beginning that this was something I could do and enjoyed doing. I started out traveling due east out of Seattle, moving at a pretty relaxed pace and stayed along that route for a few months, spending a few weeks in Yellowstone and meandering through the plains before eventually making my way through the mountains. I had an old college friend in Chicago and I stopped there for a week spending more money than I could afford to on food, and crashing on his couch. Out on the road, I managed to shower every two or three days at truck stops and YMCAs. I usually slept in Walmarts or rest stops. It's by no means an easy or comfortable life, but the sense that I was having a real, honest experience invigorated me and, until recently, allowed me to ignore or push past the difficulties and rough patches. I felt in control of my own destiny, broken free of all my normal routines. A sense of freedom like I'd never known ran through my bones and assured me that I'd made the right choice in buying the van and setting out on this trip. My girlfriend was not so sure, but we agreed I'd settle into a more stationary lifestyle when she finished grad school. My goal since I left had been to be in New England when autumn came. My mom spent a large portion of her childhood living here, so growing up I'd made several vacations to the area. I fell in love with the foliage that looked like something lifted from an old postcard or storybook. The rolling hills and the barns nestled within them, I had long felt that there was something in the air there that made folk tales and legends seem almost possible. Enough dark corners of old forests and long-forgotten patches of countryside where you might still find a witch or some eldritch abomination lurking. Memories of autumns spent here in my childhood, chilled air, enough to make my blood quicken. I suppose the story I am writing begins in earnest then, with my arrival in the small town of Darlington, Maine though calling it a town at all seems like a bit of an exaggeration. I didn't have much of a plan of what exactly I wanted to do in New England once I got here. I figured as long as I made it out by early October, I could slow down and enjoy the weather, spend some time in nature, and generally travel wherever the wind or my own whims carried me, hopefully making it to Salem at some point, on the recommendation of several people I'd met along the way. So it was with this attitude that I floated into Darlington last Thursday, in need of gas and a place to pee. No intention of sticking around much longer than that, but nowhere else in particular that I needed to be either. I pulled off the freeway onto a two-lane road and followed the sign and turning right towards the nearest and apparently only gas station in the area. It was just over two miles off of the main highway. The woods were thick on either side of the road with no sign of civilization outside of the asphalt. About a mile on, a handful of houses began popping up along the route. Set back a little ways from the road, they were all in what appeared to be a fairly advanced state of abandonment and disrepair. Overgrown yards, paint chipped and faded, broken windows, no sign of human life. I came to the gas station a few minutes later. It sat at the edge of what may have once been a modestly sized dirt mall, but was now little more than an open field and a stretch of sun-bleached parking lot, grass growing up through the cracks of the foundations where buildings once stood, nature moving in to reclaim the whole place. The gas station itself appeared only marginally more habitable than the surrounding landscape, but my van being low on fuel as it was, I decided to pull over and check it out just in case. The windows were too dusty to see much of what was inside, but to my surprise the door was open, and stepping inside I could see that there was someone behind the counter. He watched me come in, and I nodded in acknowledgment before making my way towards the back of the store in search of a bathroom. As I moved through the store, I was struck by the shelves. Rather than being lined with snacks or odds-and-ends car parts, I saw only bin after bin of unidentifiable metal pieces. I can only think to describe them as w- widgets, for as long as I looked at them, I could not discern what possible use any of them could have. There were probably hundreds of them, grouped by design. Some were hollow, some were fashioned into a right angle, but none of them seemed to have any express purpose, and there were no labels to indicate otherwise. They were all coated in a thick layer of dust, as if they had not been touched for years. I thought I had found a bathroom at the back of the store, but upon entering the door, discovered that it was only a closet. I was about to shut it and continue looking when I noticed what was inside. In the dim light of the bare overhead bulb, I could see dozens of felt puppets. Some were simple sock puppets, others were more elaborate, the size of a small child, but they all had a rough, homemade quality about them. They were all sitting down, lined up with their backs against the wall. I checked over my shoulder to make sure nobody was watching me before quickly and softly closing the door. I circled the remaining perimeter of the small store and, finding no indication of a bathroom, approached the counter. It was at this time that I noticed the group of four old men in the near corner. They were seated around a folding table. One was reading the paper and the other three were playing cards, but they all seemed to be much more interested in monitoring whatever I was doing, only hurriedly returning their attention to their cards and newspaper when I glanced over in their direction. Can I help you? asked the man behind the counter. I told him that I was searching for a bathroom. We don't have one, he said. I asked him if the pumps worked and his look told me that I had offended him with my question. I pulled out a $20 bill, and for a moment I was nervous he wasn't going to take it. But he did, and put it in the register. I waited for some sort of further instruction, but the man was apparently finished with the interaction, so I headed for the door. Before I stepped out, the man behind the counter said, Looks like rain. I turned back towards him, only to find that he wasn't looking at me. He was gazing at the back of the store, apparently not talking to anyone in particular. I went back to my van. I'd only been in the store a couple of minutes, but I found it was a great relief to be back in the open air and sunlight. The sky was bright and clear, without a rain cloud in sight. To my surprise, the gas pump did indeed work, so I began to fill my tank. I looked back at the dilapidated store, and the oppressive feeling began to creep back in. I was sure that all five of the men were gathered behind the dusty window, watching me. As soon as the pump clicked off, I quickly replaced it on the rack and climbed back into the driver's seat. As I pulled back onto the road, I looked around and realized that there were no other cars in the lot, or behind the building, or anywhere. My original plan had been to find a nice spot in the area to set up camp for the night, but even though it was already late in the afternoon when I left the gas station, that heavy, ominous feeling left with me, and I felt it necessary to put at least a little bit of distance between myself and that place before dark. I made my way back to the freeway and traveled a few miles to the next exit, which looked much the same as the place I'd just left. I pulled over for a minute and checked my phone, only to find that I had a very weak signal here, verging on having no signal at all. After a lot of waiting, I managed to check out a map and confirm that almost all of the land in the surrounding area was BLM land, so I set out on the road, straining to find a turnoff as the sun set rapidly behind me. I didn't see another car from the time I exited the freeway. Before long, I found an old logging road into the woods and took it. The van rocked and groaned under me and the tree branches scraped noisily against the metal side walls. The path was overgrown. It likely hadn't been used in years. I followed it for about 20 minutes of slow, cautious driving before I felt that I was far enough off the main road and into the wilderness and began looking for an ideal camping spot. A half mile further down the road, I pulled into a nice grassy clearing and put the van in park for the night. The last meager light in the forest was just fading as I did so. I quickly set about trying to collect as much wood and kindling from the area as I could, already feeling the evening chill creeping in and wanting the warmth of a campfire. I'd spent so much of the day in my van and I dreaded the idea of staying cooped up in the back for the rest of the night. I tried to check the weather to make sure there wasn't any rain coming, but I was out of service range. Something about that made me smile. After all the stress and weirdness of the day, I'd managed to find isolation, a spot of my own, out here in the woods, away from the stress and hollow frantic business of being constantly connected. It's one of the things I've grown to love about the lifestyle, recapturing the ability to be whole and live in the moment as it is, and not have my attention and person constantly fractured and split between dozens of different places and people and problems at any given time. There's a zen, or at least there was for me, following the initial anxiety over not being in the loop or being constantly entertained, or reconnecting with the interior of my own brain. I managed to get a decent fire going and opened up the back of my van to cook dinner on the camp stove there. I had a few beers left in my cooler, so I opened those as well and finished them at a leisurely pace as I gazed into the fire. As the last light in the sky went out, the world grew infinitely smaller, the darkness enclosing my little clearing and made all the more dark by the dim orange glow of the fire around me. After a while of looking at the night sky, I packed everything into my van and crawled into bed for the night with a book. It's a cargo van, so there are no windows in the back, and once I pull a curtain across the front seats, I'm in my own private room. I read a book for a few minutes until I fell asleep. It was a little after two in the morning when I woke up, freezing. I reached over and turned on the propane heater next to my bed and put on a sweatshirt before crawling under the covers. It had begun to rain sometime while I was asleep, and it sounded like there was a thunderstorm raging outside. I worried for a moment that if it rained too much my van would get stuck in the mud, but it was parked in a pretty grassy spot, and the idea of trying to leave and find a new spot in the dark seemed far more dangerous, so I lay back down and listened to the rain. As I sat there in the dark, rather than drifting back to sleep, I began to feel uneasy. I couldn't discern why and a feeling that something was off began to gnaw at me. Soon enough, it had me fully awake, listening intently. After a few moments, I heard it, whispering outside my van. I couldn't understand what they were saying, but after a few moments, I became absolutely certain that there was someone out there. As I listened longer, I began to hear more voices, five, six, maybe even seven voices, often talking over each other footsteps swishing hurriedly through the tall grass. Some of the voices sounded as if they were right next to my head, inches away through the thin meadow wall of the van. They were speaking English, I could hear it now, and yet I couldn't make sense of a single thing that they were saying. I recognized all of the words, but the order that they were used in was completely unintelligible. The longer this went on, the more I listened, the more frustrated I grew. I felt as though my brain was malfunctioning or I was going mad. Maybe I was. They spoke with the tone and inflection of a normal conversation and responded to each other as if they understood what the other person was saying perfectly. I sat up on my elbow, careful not to make a sound, trying to suppress even my own breathing as much as possible. Craning my neck, I found a crack in the curtain separating the back of the van from the front seats. I trained my eyes on that small sliver of windshield waiting for a glimpse of a flashlight beam, a headlight, anything to break up the darkness. But nothing ever did. As I watched, I was overwhelmed by thoughts of the front door. and I locked it? I almost always do, but some nights, this far away from anyone else, I'd been known to forget from time to time. But I couldn't pull the curtain aside to check, not even a little. So I waited. Soon the voices began to speak less and less, And some seemed to move farther away, and there were fewer voices speaking, and the pauses between each speaker grew longer and longer. Eventually, there came a time when I could not hear them anymore. I waited and waited, pressing my ear against the wall, trying to hear footsteps, someone breathing, anything. After what felt like an hour of silence, I relaxed back into my pillow. But I could not bring myself to stir any further, to pull aside the curtain and look outside, or I shuddered at the thought go outside to investigate. So I lay there, listening, and after a long time, I fell asleep. The first light of the day was just beginning to eke through the curtain when I awoke a few hours later. It was a sunny, clear day outside, and for the first few moments that I was awake, the memory of what had happened the night before was blissfully absent from my mind. Then, all at once, the fear came rushing back, and I lay transfixed to my mattress. I listened for several minutes, but heard only the early morning yawning of the forest around me, birds chirping, squirrels chattering, the buzz of cicadas. I worked up the courage to step outside, and found myself alone, deep in the woods. The dark, oppressive feeling from the day before did not leave me as I went about my morning routine. I went out a bit from the clearing to pee, and upon returning, noticed that the ground was almost completely dry. Certainly there was no indication of the heavy storms I'd been listening to only a few hours earlier an acute sense of cold dread a need to leave this area as soon as possible washed over me as i packed my van to leave i noticed something the sounds of the birds the squirrels the bugs they seemed to be repeating themselves i paid closer attention and was sure i heard the same squawking pattern followed by the same buzzing about a minute apart like the noises were being played on a loop a moment later All sound in the forest stopped, cut off at once, and I was left in complete silence. No bugs, no distant frogs, nothing but the sound of my own breathing, the creaking of my van beneath my feet. A deathly, unnatural silence. And then, a moment later, just as abruptly as it had stopped, the forest came back to life. I stepped outside and looked towards the tops of the trees, scanning the area around me. I saw no signs of any squirrels, no birds or birds nests, but I did see three large speakers attached to some of the larger trees near the top. They appeared from a distance to be in relatively good condition. The hard angles and clean black paint job appeared ghastly to me out of here in nature, tucked amongst the ragged browns and bent branches of the mostly bare trees. I left and didn't see another car until I was back on the freeway. I came to a rest stop several miles down the road, in desperate need of coffee. I checked inside the worn-down brick building and saw a vending machine in the lobby between the two restrooms. It looked quite battered, but I was relieved to find that it still worked. As I waited for the paper cup to fill, I looked around the marble-floored room. There was a large road map on the far wall and next to that a sign featuring several paragraphs of historical information regarding the surrounding area. The sign was dedicated to the history of a well-known system of caves that formed an intricate honeycomb under the surrounding countryside. Some sections of it have been used on the Underground Railroad, but a vast majority of it remains unexplored. It's said that there are estimated to be over a thousand miles of cave crossing the area, part of it even running under this rest area. It also dawned on me at that moment that there had been no sound of rain on the van roof the night before. Outside I noted that there was one other car in the parking lot with mine, a rundown old station wagon with wood paneling on the sides, but I hadn't seen anyone in the building and could see no one out here either. Across the field dotted with picnic tables I saw a small formation of rocks jutting out of the ground. I approached the formation, and on the opposite side found the mouth of a cave, not quite five feet high, and just wide enough to walk through. Light penetrated only a few steps into the entryway before the darkness within subsumed it. I stood for a long time at the entryway, gazing into the darkness, listening. I felt the frustrated madness of the previous night begin to creep in. The madness of a brain stymied beyond all efforts, of the words without meaning, but I heard nothing, save for the ringing in my ears, and the shapes and the colors that formed out of the darkness disappeared when I blinked.